Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is your host, Matthew Kirby, and welcome to a new season of Young Black HR. Previously known as the Honest Human Resources Podcast, we strive to continue to have meaningful conversations by amplifying those voices and perspectives we need to hear in today's times. Young Black HR is the podcast that discusses HR from all angles, focusing on the perspectives of Black, Brown, and Ally Voices. We think outside the box of traditional HR and discuss how each and every one of us is a human resource through the skills, gifts, talents, abilities, and backgrounds that we all bring to the table. I only have one question for you. How are you a human resource? Enjoy today's episode. This one's on me. Hey, what's up? What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Young Black HR Podcast. Welcome to another week, another conversation, another amazing co-host and guest that we have on today's show. Now, I know, I know, y'all y'all thinking like, Matt, you know, you've been doing a lot of diversity, equity, inclusion-based episodes here, there, and everywhere, but it's, it's one of those things, and I feel like at this point, you know, I can never say enough. You can never tackle the whole gambit of diversity equity inclusion so this episode will be no different i'm excited to talk to our guests today so let's not waste any more time and jump right into it greg fontes has over 10 years worth of knowledge and experience challenging others to go higher as a sought after speaker educator consultant and minister he has been inspiring others all across the country to be positive change agents within their spheres of influence. Greg demonstrates the exceptional communication skills with extensive public speaking and presentation experience to all age demographics and ethnicities. His ability to build trusting relationships, enthuse, motivate, and work towards practical solution and life applications has proven to be an invaluable asset to both people and organizations. Greg's presentation style is energetic, anecdotal, learner-focused, conscious, social justice-oriented, and memorable, as he desires to not just help others improve their knowledge levels, but to exclude confidence in their willingness and ability to apply what they've learned. He is the CEO of the Fontes Experience LLC a diversity and inclusion consulting and training firm which focuses on growing leaders and empowering teams and organizations of all sizes. Greg holds a graduate degree from the University of South Florida in curriculum and instruction, as well as from Vanderbilt University in Divinity. Additionally, he holds certifications as a Cook Ross unconscious bias trainer, a Green Dots bystander intervention trainer, and the National Coalition Building Institute trainer. As a member of the Haitian American community born and raised in Miami, Florida, Greg has always seen himself as an instrument for change throughout his community. He works every day with the hope to elevate others in understanding the importance of celebrating and honoring all groups of people, in particular those who have been historically marginalized and oppressed. His favorite quote that he has accepted as his personal call to action comes from the Reverend James Lawson, who stated in a message at the 2017 Children's Defense Fund Proctor Institute, we are citizens of a country that does not yet exist. It is our duty to usher that country into existence. Man, that was powerful. Hey, what's up, Greg? What's going on? How you feeling? What's going on, brother? How you doing, man? All is well on my side of the street. Hey, nothing wrong with that. I, I love I love hearing good news like that. You know, nowadays, you know, just, just living and being is, is half the battle. So thank you for taking some time out and hopping on. Most definitely. And I appreciate just the invitation and the opportunity to just engage uh, during this episode, man. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get into everything, you know, just, and I always say this from time to time, I read people's bios here, there, and everywhere. But, you know, what are what are some things that, let's just say, weren't in the bio that you want folks to know about you? 
Oh man, there's a, there's a whole lot that's in, not in the file. <laughs> How much time do we have? <laughs> How much time do we have? Indeed, <laughs> I think uh, something that's not in the bio is that I am uh, the partner of a beautiful bride of mine for over three years. Uh, that is my queen, and we have congratulations, a little one. We have a beautiful baby girl um, who arrived not too long ago, and I'm just so excited to just be doing life with these two amazing Black women, queens, little ones, uh, every single day. Absolutely, and congratulations to not only the marriage, but to also having a little one. We need more success stories like that for sure. So no, that's, that's, that's pretty amazing. So, you know, just to kind of you know, rock and roll and get into everything. You know, I ask everyone who comes on the show this question and you are not going to be any different. So tell us, Greg, how are you a human resource? How am I a human resource? I think that is a critical question and an important question that, that you ask to every person who uh, participates in this podcast. Um, I think for me, how am I a human resource is simply because I show up. Right. I think when we talk about human resource, whether it's from an organizational perspective, uh, nonprofit, whatever have you, uh, human resources always focuses on kind of that administrative, that function. How does a business organization operate in order to be effective and efficient? But it's also about how do you engage employees? How do you uh, foster a culture of belonging, a sensitivity of awareness? And I think for me, how am I that is that I show up as me. Right. One of the things that I pride myself in being able to do is show my full and authentic self. Right. So I'm going to always show up as this Haitian American guy who was born and raised in Miami, Florida. I'm going to show up as a husband. I'm going to show up as a father. I'm going to show up as a diversity educator and activist. I'm going to show up at with the moral consciousness of a minister. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to show up with all of these capacities. And that's what makes me a human resource. Right. I'm not sugarcoating who I am. I'm not pretending I'm going to be me. And I think that's the essence of human resource, or at least what it's supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be individual spaces that where people can show up their full and authentic self and be able to inspire and motivate others by simply doing that. So for me, that's how I'm a human resource. I show up. I'm, I'm me. Absolutely. I, I love it. And you know what? You so eloquently put it, you know, sometimes half the battle, maybe even 75% of the battle is just being present, is mm -hmm. just showing up. So I really appreciate that. So, you know, just thinking about showing up, especially when we talk about, you know, and for some listeners out there, again, this additional context of diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, I haven't quite yet tackled an episode, you know, to where we really get into about how genuine is this? You know, is Black folks and other minorities and everybody being pandered? what does pandering look like? You know, what are some of those things that, you know, we can begin to, in a sense, you know, audit our employer's intentions, if that's even possible. So, you know, just thinking about, you know, all the work that you've done, and even just not only as a trainer and as a consultant, but perhaps even earlier in your career, when you're on the other side of things, perhaps as an employee, how do you kind of go about thinking about, you know, if organizations are truly being genuine with their DEI efforts. Yeah, yeah. You have to look at an organization's track record. For me, like for me, I have to look at your track record to see what have you been doing um, in order to be genuine. Right. Uh, I think we're currently in a space, uh, consequently, um, as a result of COVID-19 uh, in conversation with a lot of these killings, these unfortunate murderings of black and brown bodies, in particular that of George Floyd, we have seen there's like this boom of diversity awareness, if you will. Many organizations are seeking to hire chief diversity officers or, or build out their diversity teams. Many organizations are looking to do cultural organizational audits. They're looking to, they're asking the questions. They're making these statements. All of these things are happening at such a rapid rate currently. And when I think about that and I look at that, for me, I think those are, are great. Right. Great. I'm, I'm glad that this is something that's at the forefront of your 
hopefully your C-suite conversations. I'm, I'm glad it's at the forefront of your executive conversations. But the question about that I'm asking is, well, what happened prior to the killing of George Floyd? Right. What was going on a year ago? What was going on five years ago? What was going on 10 years ago plus in your organization, if your organization existed that long? And for me, I'm asking the question, is what I'm seeing more of a reactionary response or is it moving or, or is it a, a ploy to move your organization into a place of what I call cultural relevance? Right. Because for me, being reactionary is not genuine. Being reactionary is seeking to put a Band-Aid on an issue. It's seeking to address something because that is the current conversation, national conversations that's happening right now. So for me, I'm looking at genuineness as a, place, as a space where an organization, a group of people are moving towards a place of being culturally relevant and responsible, meaning that the organization is putting at the forefront diversity and inclusion, meaning that diversity and inclusion is not just to meet the current narrative and the current events of what's going on, but diversity and inclusion is embedded all throughout, regardless of those things. It's, it's the organization is understanding that we're wanting to be relevant to all conversations, the black conversation, the LGBT conversation, the gender conversation, et cetera, et cetera. And we're not just going to be relevant in those conversations, but we're actually going to take a responsibility to do something about it within our own organization. We're going to uh, look at our hiring practices. We're going to look at the current attitudes of diversity, inclusion, and belonging within our organization. We're going to look at our recruitment efforts. We're going to look at our pay. We're going to look at everything that our organization is doing because we recognize the sense of responsibility that we have, not only internal to the organization, but also external to our communities. What community partnerships are we going to be developing? What um, service opportunities are we going to do? What, what are our employee resource groups going to look like? All of those things, right? Because they recognize, the organization recognizes that they have an influence and they have a responsibility to have an impact and influence within their local communities. So for me, that's what I, I, I characterize genuineness as. Genuineness is something that where organizations are being relevant, right? As well as taking a responsibility to do what's right and not just being reactive to what's going on. I think there's a time and place to be reactive, but we got to understand that if we continue to be reactive, that's just going to be band-aid, putting a band-aid on the issue. That's just going to be dealing with what people are currently addressing. And that's not going to be tackling the root of the issue. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really think, Greg, there there was just so much you, you said, even in that first response, I'm like, geez, we just get the show started. But I love it. <laughs> and, and, and you know what, it is one of those things where you know, we, we've seen evidence of organizations being genuine, as well as evidence of, you know, folks just being reactionary or folks just, you know, really trying to do their part. And I would call it or consider it a compliance aspect. Okay, you know, I see this organization is doing this, this and this. Let me jump on the bandwagon. And even to a, another point, you know, just due to the amount of promotions and increases and, you know, black and brown faces that we see in these diversity, equity, and inclusion positions. I don't care if it's chief diversity officer, whatever the case may be. Congratulations to everyone that works in that space. But are we, aren't we, aren't we more as black and brown people more than just heads and chiefs of diversity, equity, and inclusion? You know, when I think about the genuineness, just to uh, piggyback a little bit off of you, you know, I think about, you know, that inclusivity should be spread out through the organization as a whole, you know, not just in arguably a, a newly, uh, newly formed department division role nine times out of 10 that we see. I 100% I agree with that. You know, it, it's, it's interesting because when you think of hiring practices and, and the different stages of, of, of an interview process, right? It's usually within these diversity positions where that's where all of the black and brown bodies are solicited to have a voice in this particular position. However, when we start talking about, you know, for example, director of operations or, or recruiting specialists, right? No, there's a particular 
uh, a majority um, identity group that has say in those hiring practices, right? It's, it's not as inclusive of the various particularities that exist in an organization. And so it's, it's, you're absolutely right. Many spaces, organizations will relegate the minority voice within their organization to only have an influence and impact within the diversity spaces, right? When we fail to realize that diversity is bigger than position, right? It's, 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 it's all about practice across the organization, right? And so, you know, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. And, and we're more than that. Black and brown bodies are more than just the diversity position. We're more than the voluntold diversity and inclusion committee for the organization. We're bigger than that. We're, we're better than that. We are C-suite uh, capable. We are director, manager capable. We are VP and beyond capable like we are that and we don't and and the sooner that an organization realizes that the better off they'll be right we're not just some bottom feeders class of society um as the construction of race says and that's a whole different topic to go down <laughs> come on now <laughs> uh, but but we're more than that right th th those are archaic mentalities that we are still infusing in our modern day context and it's causing challenges is causing much tension and many individuals are black and brown individuals are upset and frustrated and are not feeling validated um, and they don't feel as though they belong within their organization and so organizations need to move out of that mindset of black and brown bodies are only for diversity and inclusion spaces no we're, we're better than that we're, we're we're more important than that we're and that's the essence of why there's this constant uh, narrative and voice that continually says, hey, Black Lives Matter, right? It's not just only about killings, but it's about these positions too. It's about having equitable opportunities um, as our counterparts. Yeah, and I, I, I really couldn't agree anymore. I, I, think it's, I think it's just one of the things, and even just what I'm thinking about now, you know, and maybe you've heard uh, this take as well, but I'm curious to get your your thoughts on this. So, you know, why does it seem and feel like, you know, essentially white people are leaning on us to solve an issue or issues that we didn't help create in the first place? You know, what 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 becomes the line of, you know, if, if I'm someone that's, you know, not black, brown, or not in any sort of underrepresented group or anything like that, what, what would you say is kind of the balance of, you know, leaning on us, however you define that, as, you know, kind of those subject matter experts within this context, but also that line of or the side of being proactive and at least demonstrating for your, your black and brown peers and any other groups that, you know, you, you've gone out and have done some sort of research or have demonstrated to us that, you know, you aren't just an ally, but to take it a step further and be anti-racist as well as acknowledging the privilege or privileges that you have in order to really be a strong promoter of inclusive efforts, equitable efforts, and diverse efforts. Mm -hmm. Yo, <laughs> just, man, ah, I can because it's, it's like you know, it's like the yeah, it's like the man says, hey, you know, we you know we we created this problem, but it's up to you to solve. It. <laughs> and I'd be mm -hmm. like, what? <laughs> Wait, roll that back again? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. And I think for me, it's <laughs> the failure to, or, or the dependency upon black and brown bodies to solve the problem is, I think, a method that is used to shield the majority white folks to recognize their part right and or or not just recognize it but to face it and to embody and embrace that right because the real the sheer fact and reality is no one wants to you know face the fact that hey i am an oppressor no one wants to say hey i i, I am willing to give up my privileges right now if you got your 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 your, your 40 camels and, and 100 acres like dude you, right you they're, they're not giving that. that up for you're damn sure that. they're not giving that up for, for real. real you're not right <laughs> you know you're, you're not gonna give up your your six-figure salary to to help somebody out right you're not right and so when when one it's easier to say hey you fix the problem right because for me that means i don't have to deal with it 
that means I don't have to come to grips with the privileges, the unearned advantages that I have. I don't have to deal with that. So I'm going to lean on you to do it. And for, quite frankly, it's not a concern of mine. If it's not a concern of mine, but it's a concern of yours because you feel you've been done wrong, I'm going to look at you and say, or what they're going to say is, okay, well, you go fix it, right? Because it's something that's concerning to you until it begins to impact one's own self and they begin to see themselves in the entire narrative and conversation. They begin to have some type of connection to it, personal connection and conviction to it. Until that, there's not going to be movement. It's always going to be, well, you go ahead and do it, right? And that's devaluing, that's degrading, in my opinion, right, of black and brown bodies for them to have to fix your mess, right? In particular, I think about our, our, our black sisters, right? Like, they always got to clean up some mess, right? They always are put in situations to where they got to come behind some male, some white male, male, whatever you want to call it, and they got to fix this. They got to clean it up, right? And you see that continually in a narrative of our country, right? It's always that. And that's not okay, right? And so I think that, you know, there's always this dependency upon black and brown folks to fix the issue because one's not willing to face it themselves. They're not willing to face that music, right? Yeah, um, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, in a sense, it's a big pill to swallow. It's mm-hmm. a tough song to hear. And, you know, I always tell folks, you know, and just even, even beyond the scope of what we're talking about today, I mean, think about it, you know, the only time, or times that you've seen organizations react or change or adjust is when their pockets are affected. You yep. know, once yep. once the finances start getting messing up, then that's when things are taken seriously. So to a certain extent, you know, people, I'm sure listeners out there hearing this, you know, people may believe that DNI is naturally reactive, which is why, you know, unless and you know, I'm I'm even thinking about within my own life, I can maybe on one hand count the number of companies that DE&I has been something consistent, arguably at least for the last decade, but basically for a good portion of time in their company's history. They're just mm-hmm. some companies that are, that are ahead of the curve, you know, regardless if they're, unfortunately, you know, since there were so many, you know, shootings and, you know, just everything that's going on. And we, we really get to see in times like this how those A players look versus everyone else that's just trying to catch up. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the thing. You, you said something, Matthew, that just struck a chord with me. You said, you know, a lot of these companies, they don't make moves until their pockets get hit. And it's their bottom line begins to get shaken up. But here's the thing. If you move forward with appropriate and uh, uh, positive diversity uh, actions, and you, if you move towards cultural relevance and cultural responsibility, and you, you incorporate those ideas within your organization, it will actually enhance your bottom line, right? The power and value, and I'll just speak, the power and value of the Black dollar is, is incredible, right? It can shift our own economy. It can shift our own stock. It, it can make moves. And what, what, what blows and what baffles me is the fact that organizations don't realize that, that if they are more uh, receptive and they're more conscious of their efforts, it can actually help them increase revenue, increase their bottom line, because it shows people who are look like us, black and brown folks say, you know what, this organization is all about me or this organization cares and values my being. Therefore, I'm going to invest in that, right? And, and we don't realize that. There is power in doing that, right? But for some odd reason, we only want to react when it, it negatively infect, affects our dollars. But in actuality, it can actually have a greater impact for our organization. Right. Because right now we're in a space where, you know, cancel culture is real. Right. If you're not doing DNI work, folks are ready to cancel you. Folks are ready to say, you know, I'm going to take my dollar elsewhere. I'm going to take my vote elsewhere. I'm going to do something elsewhere. Right. That's what people are doing right now. And so right now, companies need to realize, wait a minute, if I begin to really do this work genuinely in sensitivity and in awareness and recognize my part and do the work, this will actually in the long run 
advanced my organization company farther than it is today. No, and you're and you're so right about that. You know, I'm I'm not sure if companies really get it when we talk about the black dollar. And look, Greg, that's the black dollar in and of itself. That's a whole nother episode. So, you know, just thinking about, you know, once or when companies really get that understanding, wow, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion should have been something we've been doing, you know, 30, 40 years ago. In that case, um, you know, even just thinking about it from the bottom line perspective. But here's the thing, and I, I think we, we, we may have some agreement on this for sure, but in, in previous episodes, for those of you that are listening, you know, I've always brought up this notion or this idea of what I, what I unofficially call the diversity cap. And what is a diversity cap, Matt? What, what are you talking about? So that idea that there's going to be some point to where all of this important work, don't get me wrong, it is extremely important, but all of this important work is going to hit a peak or a climax, then we'll either start to level out or go down. The idea that, you know, once the height quote unquote, dies down. Once we get past this season, these phases that we're in as a society, you know, what, what, what is that going to look like, you know, from an organizational standpoint? And the, the question that I have, and just to get your take on this, you know, what, what does, I guess, in the sense, the future of DEI looks like after, you know, essentially the news coverage goes away? Yeah. Difficult question to ask. <laughs> Difficult question to answer. Um, man, it, how I see it, uh, and I was actually posed this question not too long ago um, about, you know, when, in particular to the Black Lives Matter movement, like when the Black Lives Matter movement dies down, uh, what next? What's next, right? And for me, my response was, well, if it dies down and that same energy dies down for an organization, to me, that tells me that the organization never really cared about Black Lives Matter. And the reason why I say that is because if, if it takes a movement to, to compel an organization to, re, to, to move, that's being reactive, right? That's telling me that you're not a, a, a thought leader. You're not a leader in the work of diversity and inclusion. You're actually now just a follower. So whatever is coming up is what you respond to, right? That goes back to that culturally reactive nature of an organization, which I, I find to be problematic. And so for me, um, I think the next level of, of DEI, once, you know, these major, you know, news cycles maybe subside a little bit. Well, two things I'll say. One, it's always, you know, I was, I was taught by a mentor of mine a number of years ago, you know, when I was in higher ed education working, um, and he would say, he said to me from one of his mentors that, and when we were talking about diversity issues on campus and things happening, he said to me, it's never not war. It's never not war. Essentially saying that, you know, there's going to be times where it appears for things to have gone down. There's going to be times where it doesn't feel like uh, there's much going on where the waters seem to be cool and smooth, um, but it's always a war. It's always something going on. So for me, on one end, it's, it's never not war. It's always something that's going to be happening. It may not be Black lives today, but it might be LGBT lives. It might be religious pluralism going on. It might be gender issues, inequalities that's going on. It might be something else, right? And so for me, on one end, it's, okay, well, what's the next thing that's going to come up and happen, right? So it's always looking for that. Um, but then on the second, the second point I'll say is that not only is it never not war, but um, I'll also say that um, organizations need to be now the, the forerunners of the conversation, right? We need to stop being reactive to what's going on. We need to be the thought leaders. We need to be the ones promoting the injustices. We need to be the ones promoting, hey, this is how we get better. This is what we need to be doing. So for me, what I would actually love to see um, is that next phase is for spaces to not be taking their cues from national conversations, but to be elevating what the conversation should be, right? And what in within their own organizations should and should and what and should they be doing, right? So for, for, for me, as I think about it, it's, yeah, sure, the national conversations may be going down, 
but it's up to the organizations now to be the voices, the champions of this, right? And so organizations, you need to get your stuff in order right now. <laughs> get your my grandma, my grandma always says, get your get your how does she say it? Get your rear in gear. That's what she said. Get says. your rear in gear. <laughs> Come on, grandma. Get your rear in gear right now. Because at the end of the day, if if you are not at the forefront of the conversation, if you're not the ones promoting and saying, this is the conversation, this is what we're going to address, your organization is going to die, right? And it may not, it may, it may be a slow death over years, maybe over decades, right? But you're going to, it's going to die because we're, the generations that are coming up right now are generations that are not taking um, slack. They're the generations that are, you know, you know, quite ironically, these are the, this is the generation that has their foot on the neck of organizations pushing them and challenging them to be better, challenging them to, to grow, challenging them to be uh, uh, woke, if you will. And so I believe that that's what's going to happen. If organizations don't get their rear in gear, they're, they're going to fail. And, <laughs> and folks are going to kind of just move off of them. That's, that's my opinion. Now, will there be some organizations that, you know, you know, stand the test of time? Sure, there will be. But, but for many, they're going to struggle. Um, and I believe that, you know, more minority businesses, black and brown uh, communities uh, are going to start, you know, taking over, if you will. I think there's going to be, for example, there's going to be, you know, people are going to be less off some of these major banks and start in putting their money into black owned banks. Right. And, and, and things like that are going to start happening and then people are going to start being more aware. So they got to get their rear in gear. And if not, it's going to be a struggle. Yeah. I, I, I really, I really couldn't agree. I feel like, you know, it's, it's always a, uh, a clock or a time ticking, you know, in the sense of, getting not only ahead of this, but also doing the right thing. And even when we mm -hmm. think about, you know, and I like how you actually put this, you know, really just approaching and looking at DEI related issues from a wave perspective. Okay, so it might not be black people forever. You know, it could be someone else and someone else and someone else, right? So just thinking about that, you know, do you do you ever envision maybe this is just me being Mr. Optimistic, but do you ever envision a time where, you know, we we aren't really facing as many DE&I kind of issues that we may see or may know DE&I as of in today's time? You know, do we get to a point that we're, all right, cool, we treating Black people right, we treating LGBTQIA people right, uh, women, uh, veterans, uh, people with disabilities, and the list goes on and on. Do you do you ever see, you know, a time where, you know, in a meta in a metaphorical kind of view that we check off all the boxes, right? That we make all the groups happy. Ah, that's a hard question to answer. That's a hard. No, I'm, I'm here. I'm here all episode. You know, <laughs> just hard questions, one after another after that, another. <laughs> that, that's probably the hardest one because for me. I have my, my own internal identities conflict in answering that question, right? You know, as a minister, you know, my, my responsibility is to always offer hope, right? And to always see the good and the optimism of things, the, the realistic optimism. And so for me, from a moral theological lens, yeah, I, I, I do believe that we can get to that point. I really do believe that we can get to that point um, because I think that the wheels are turning right now. I think that many are seeing the um, benefits of it. I think that many are, are entertaining and, and beginning to have the conversation about it. Um, so I do think that, yeah, we can get there. But the other, the historian inside of me says history hasn't shown me that we can get there, right? History hasn't proven itself to be uh, fruitful in these moments, right? What history shows me is that um, what has been as overt um, now will get a little bit more strategic and nuanced, right? Sure, we ain't we ain't out back, um, you know, uh, uh, having black folks in the in the in the fields picking cotton, getting whipped publicly. Oh no, we're just gonna actually you know kill you through uh, police brutality, and we're gonna kill you through prison reform and, and break up your homes, right? And, and, and have generational trauma, right? So it looks different, right? It's a little bit more strategic um, as history has shown us. So for me, I do think that we can get there, 
but we all got to be willing to do the work. We all have to be willing to, to break cycles and break systems, which I find it to be very hard because we live in a, a, a world uh, of nationalistic uh, ideals. We live in a world where people are always going to, you know, want to go back to a space, right? Go back to what we quote unquote were. Um, and so it's hard to really answer that question. Um, but my hope, I do this work. Let me say this. I do this work so that we can get to that place, right? To where we can ultimately say, listen, everyone's being treated well, right? And, and that will be a day of That'd be like a second coming in my mind. <laughs> right. <laughs> that'd be that'd be a day of rejoicing, right? Right. But at the end Absolutely. of the day, I'll have to look at history, and history doesn't say that it's going to get yeah. better. History says it's going to get a little bit more strategic. It's yeah. Get a little bit more uh, daunting. A little bit more. It's going to get harder. Um. So so I conflict in my response. I know I, I didn't I didn't give you a direct. This is what I believe, but 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 that's just where I'm at. That's just you know yeah. I, I mentioned no, that Listen, I, I come with me. That's right. me. And, and for me, right. <laughs> I, I hold those two things in tension, right? And I, and I struggle with, with, with those two. Right. And Greg, that's, that's so real. And it's, and it's one of those things where, especially if you listening to this episode now have been rocking with me, you know, whether it's from the beginning, whether it's this season, whether this is your first episode, you know, you, you will realize, if not already, how we, we love to keep these conversations upfront and honest. Trust me, they're... In a sense, for me, when I when I ask any question on the show, trust me, there are no right or wrong answers for sure. I think it. I think you bring up a good point where I I agree. You know, history says no. If anything, maybe some progress. You know, getting here, mm -hmm. getting there, slowly but surely. But there's always going to be that regression. You know, before we got on today's show and started recording, you know, I I kind of liken it to to you know just having a newborn. Right. You're going to make progress. You know, you might get, you know, four to six hours of sleep, maybe even eight hours if, you, if your little one's a unicorn. But eventually it's going to go backwards. Right. You're going to be like, whoa, you haven't been up every other hour since you was like two months old. You know mm -hmm. what is going on? Right. And mm -hmm. it's, it's that ever, ever evolving game, ever challenging game sometimes. And I'll go a little bit old school with this, you know, with uh, with snakes and ladders. You know, there's there's mm -hmm. a lot of ladders being built up and made, but there's also still so many snakes out there. And whether you lose one spot or you lose 10 spots, you know, it's it's unfortunately, you know, a part of this thing that we call life. So mm -hmm. definitely enjoy and value your your input on that for sure. Yeah. And, and just may, may I make, may I make one more one more comment about mm -hmm. that, too. You know, if we got to the point where we said everybody's being treated fairly then what we've done, and this is what I, what I find to be challenging, what we've done with that statement or that idea is that we've said we've mastered human identity. And I struggle with that because humans, we're complex, right? Within the Black experience itself, there is a mosaic of experiences, right? My Black experience, Matthew, is different from yours. Yours is different from mine. Although we share a historical communal struggle, right, the individual particularities and complexities that we all have are different, right? So for, so for me, the, the challenge is, okay, we've gotten to a place where we've said, you know, everyone's being treated fairly, like, you know, the, the need for this work has, you know, regressed, if you will. I would counter and say that's impossible simply because the human need and the evolvement of human beings is very complex and it's ever evolving, right? Our current generation is different than our kids' generations, and it's going to be different from their kids' generations, right? And so the needs, the nuances are going to be a little bit different. So for me, it's not a question of, of do we get to the point where everyone's being treated fairly? As, as, for me, it's do we get to the place where each generation um, has the tools necessary to navigate what's being presented in front of them, right? Because times change, generations change, evolve, um, different issues come up. Different, and I think there'll be issues that will come up in 30 years that was not a thing for us nowadays, right? You know, for us, it's the social media age. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. so, so things change over time. Um, and so to say that when we get to that place, it's discrediting the possibility of growth and evolvement for the generations that follow us, right? 
Um, and this is part and part the dad speaking in me, you know? Um, so yeah, so, so I, I wanted to make that claim as well, because yes, sure, I have the optimism that we can get to that place, and, but history tells me otherwise. But the question, but then I have to also keep in mind that humans evolve too. So it may not even be the issues that evolve, right? But the human, the generations are different and evolve. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, that's an amazing point that you bring up. And even, even something that I was thinking about, you know, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's not a, a race necessarily between fairness and equality. And what I mean by that is, you know, we can, we can all be treated fairly without being treated equally, if that makes sense. You know, there's a difference yeah. in between, and I'll, I'll be real practical here. You know, if you're a CEO versus an hourly or frontline worker, you probably don't want your CEO being treated like the hourly worker and, about, and vice versa, right? You know, so I do want to see and I do think there's, there's room to get to a point to where we are being treated fairly, but I'm not necessarily a fan of having everyone being treated equally when we talk about broad strokes and things of that nature. To your point, you know, we are, we are very complex beings. You know, what's relevant in 2020 might not even be relevant in 2025, right? And that's just a couple of years down the road. Nice. You know, there's just going to be so, so much, so many variables that, you know, it's like, wow, you know, something may come up for, our kids' generation that, you know, we, you know, currently as millennials, we're like, uh, you know, I, I don't know, but, you know, I want to help you navigate this, you know, because we went through our stuff, right? And our parents, you know, hopefully generations say the same thing. You know, we, we don't know about TikTok and all of that, but we want to help you navigate through y'all stuff and so on and so forth. So I do, I do think there's, there's, there's much more room to, to go and grow in terms of being fairness, but understanding that, like you said earlier, you know, if the issues are going to stay the same, then at least the people have the chance to be different and evolve and adapt. And even just thinking about this, Greg, you know, I did a episode previously with Sheila Darius and, you know, we, we were doing the episode around how the hell do I get a job in diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, and, and the way that I look at it, I, I think I mentioned this before to you is when we talk about, you know, just that kind of trajectory, it's very cloudy, it's very foggy. To a certain extent, I would be willing to throw out the argument that there aren't really such things as entry level, quote unquote, D, E, and I jobs. You know, a lot of, a lot of these roles and positions tend to be slapped with a senior level on it, whether the role is senior or not. That might be a whole nother episode in and of itself, uh, demystifying job descriptions. Um, you know, so just, just thinking about that, you know, talk to us more about, you know, what, what we call or what we think about this idea of background bias. You know, that, that idea of, you know, it seems like DE&I is five minutes old, but candidates need to have 15 years of experience. Talk to me more about that. <laughs> 15 years of experience. They need to have the right education, the right, right schooling. <laughs> they need to have worked at X, Y, and Z company. Right. All that 12 stuff. degrees, you know, come on. All of that stuff, <laughs> man. And it's funny because that's the requirements for a DEI position, right? which is antithetical to the whole notion of what DEI is. <laughs> right. How, how do you have a DEI position, but you're naturally not inclusive? That's hilarious to me. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's so antithetical. It's oxymoronic to the whole nature of it. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I, I get it. Yes, you, you are hoping to find the right candidate. Sure, I get it, right? You, but, but this work of DEI is you have to have a feel for it, right? It's not something that is, well, I think, yeah, there's certain components where sure, you, you need an that you, you gain intellectually, right? From readings or whatever have you, right? Everyone's educational desires and pursuits are different um, and uh, history is different, right? Yeah, I get that. Um, but I also think that, you know, doing this work is, right? If, if you're gonna do it right, you have to 
do it right and embody it in all layers of an organization. You have to, you have to. So for me, as I look at spaces where you're like, you need all of these requirements, I'm like, how serious are you then? Right? How serious are you about doing this work if you're, if you're putting a, stru- a structure and a system in place to get that position? Right? Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm back and forth with this one, man. You know, I'm back and forth, to be honest with you. Like, sometimes it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. So I think we need to get to the point where, you know, if we're going to do it right, we have to take a look and we have to assess those recruiting strategies, right? Um, We have to consider, Mm -hmm. um, are we looking to, how serious are we about this work, right? And if so, are we willing to shift and to change a structure, even if, and this this is, this is critical, even if, it means the way someone gets in the organization is different than how the current people of an organization got in, right? We like to move in these traditional cycles of, well, I had to go through the process. I had to get these achievements and et cetera, et cetera, in order to be in this position. So should you. Well, no, that's not necessarily true, right? Um, And so I think that, you know, we got to be able to, we got to be willing to deconstruct do a lot of deconstruct and reconstruct something that is healthy, something that promotes equity in all aspects, um, and, and, and construct something that is truly just, right? So I think that we have to, there's the sheer fact that organizations are asking for people with that much experience when, you know, the work of doing, of being in a diversity role hasn't been around for much for, for, for long t- periods of time. I mean, yeah, you can go back and say, well, organizations had this stuff going on back in the 80s, the late 80s, early 90s. Well, that was consequently so they don't get sued from all of these civil lawsuits and, and, and what <laughs> Absolutely. happened. Absolutely. So it, it, was, it, was, it was never instituted these roles in order to, because it was right, it was instituted to protect the shield of an organization so that they, they wouldn't have to go back to their pockets, right? So it was more of that compliance. It was more of that, those types of things. And so I think now as we're moving, if we're willing to shake some things up, you gotta, you gotta look beyond that, right? You gotta, you can't have a mindset of, I've been doing this work for 20 years and that's, I'm looking for someone to do it 20 years when your organization hasn't been doing this role for 20 years. Like, what do you mean? Like, like get out, I'll go swear. sit down. Yeah, I swear. Like, go go sit down somewhere. <laughs> like, you, you out here, right? You ain't you. You've not been doing this work. Okay, racism has been around four hundred plus years. Your organization has been around twenty plus years. You've never done this role, and now you want someone to come in with fifteen years of experience. For what reason? Like, no name that you don't. You got you got flaws, and go ahead and and stop playing and go ahead go ahead and hire that DEI person <laughs> who has two years of experience. Why? Right. Because two years is more than your zero right right <laughs> absolutely <laughs> i know that was kind of just one of those choppy answers but i'm like Dude. right no no and it's it's so <laughs> ironic and i tell you what greg i i love talking about that specific point and maybe i'll do an episode if i can uh if i can grab the right talent acquisition person or hiring manager to really dig into that logic i might even name the episode houseway you know yes, tell man. me tell me Tell me that logic, you know, when, you know, like you said, your company's only been around uh, 20 years, you know, 10 years, right? If we talk about startups, you know, five minutes in that Mm -hmm. sense. So there's a lot of irony to that. And, you know, I think this has been not only an amazing conversation, but we definitely have to keep the ball going for sure. This, This work is not only for the faint of heart, but it's too important. You know, it's it's going to be a situation where we, those of you who are that are listening or even those of you that want to be in the space, you know, have the chance to impact further generations. You know, there's again, I, I say this all the time. There is only so much time that we can do an episode. Right. Because y'all going to cut me off after a while. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those things where we can't have the entire conversation all in one shot. So Greg, I just want to thank you so much for jumping on today's episode. And before we get out of here, you got to tell us how can we connect with you? How can we figure out what you're doing? And even if you want to jump into what's next for Greg Fonsis? 
Yeah, man. Yeah. So listen, you can connect with me on social media uh, via Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Greg Fontes. Uh, simple as that. Instagram is greg.fontes. And my Twitter is I am Greg Fontes. You can also check out my website, gregfontes.com. That's where you can see a whole list of my services. Um, if you want to connect, you know, I, I love to just chat, chop it up with you. Um, outside of that, um, you know, I got, you know, what's coming up for me is, you know, I got a, a couple of uh, just my consulting thing is, is, is making some moves right now. And in trainings is making some moves. And so I got some different arenas that I'm, I'm kind of tackling right now, different uh, industries, newer industries that I, I've not yet tapped in before that I'm, I'm tapping into right now. Um, so it's kind of excited about that, really trying to, you know, get some of these organizations together um, and move towards that place of inclusive excellence for them. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's kind of what I have going on right now. Sounds good. Well, no, thank you so much, Greg. I really appreciate this chat. You know, all of my episodes, I always say this all the time. You know, these are conversation starters. You know, we're not going to solve the whole thing. Whatever that thing is we're talking about, you know, so continue to have these conversations outside of not only listening to the podcast and engaging with Greg and I, but also in your circles. Change starts one person at a time. And Greg, I just want to thank you for jumping on and thank you you know, really for all the gems and giblets you've been dropping. Hey, brother, thank you so much for having me. I truly appreciate it, man. Keep this podcast going. This is awesome and much needed. Make sure you connect with today's guests on social media. And if you haven't already, check out our website at honesthumanresources.com and connect with Young Black HR on your favorite platform at, you guessed it, Young Black HR. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and GroupMe. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation and tune in to next week's episode.